just curious. <laughs> you laugh, but are you? No, I know you are. I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm actually curious, why, why are you a Christian? Now, I know there's a lot of answers to that question. And I want you to, to today, what I'd like you to do is just think that through. Why are you a Christian? Because that's a big important part in thinking like you want other people to become Christians. Well, why are you a Christian? And I, I, would, I would point this out that maybe the thing that brought you to Christ first wouldn't necessarily be the same thing that might bring someone else to Christ. But naturally, this is just how humans are. We tend to act and treat people like we like to be treated. Have you noticed that? Yes? No? Yes. And that's why it's, it's interesting because depending on, I mean, you've probably heard this. There's different learning styles. Some people are kinetic learners. They need to be touching things and moving things. Uh, maybe, maybe you're like this. Maybe, maybe somebody tells you how to do something and you're like, uh, can you just show me? Right. Some people learn better that way. Other people are auditory learners. You just tell them, they get it. Some people are visual. They need to visualize it. Think about how you read maps. How do you like to get directions from somebody? Now, of course, I know with Google Maps and everything today, just give me the address, I'll get there, right? But remember back in the day? And you're talking to somebody and they'll tell you, well, if you go down to the quick trip and then take a left and then, right? And you talk to other people and they'll use these spatial things like, well, you go north for five miles and then then you're going to turn east. You know, and some of us, we just kind of like, where am I looking now? I have no idea, you know. Let's do this test. Which way is north? Some of you, some of you got it right. Yeah, it's that way. But it's difficult, right? But why did you become a Christian? How many of you would say, and I'm not going to have everybody raise their hands for all this, but how many of you say, well, you were raised this way? When asked, the vast majority of Christians say that. Does that mean they're not Christians? No. No. They were raised that way. And if you're raised that way, that typically, I mean, you kind of figure that out, and then you're raised that way. A lot of people would say this. That maybe God did something in their life that was amazing. Maybe they were in a place where they were so far down or they needed something so desperately and they call out to him and he answered and now they follow him. Or maybe you saw somebody else's life changed. Maybe you've had people that have seen a change in your life. Maybe at one time you were walking in a certain way and things just seemed normal and natural but it wasn't working out and, and then you saw a change in somebody else and because of that you stopped and said, wow, if it worked for them, it could work for me. Now, there's a whole other group of people who, as they're walking through that, maybe, maybe somebody told them about Jesus, or maybe someone told you about Jesus, and as they did, the Holy Spirit, this is one of the things he does, started to real, help you realize that you needed him, that you were lost. Maybe, maybe you'd never even understood what the word sin meant before. Maybe that seemed like a strange concept. And that yet, as somebody talked to you about it, you realized the depth of your spiritual need. And if this is true, then you reached out to God and then you felt the grace and forgiveness that he gives and it changed everything. There's other people, though. Maybe they've grown up in, a, in a, an environment where there was no God or maybe they grew up in a, in a church or, or a Christian family and something happened and they decided to walk away from God. Maybe like C.S. Lewis. Familiar with him, a great Christian theologian, writer, you know, Chronicles and Arnie and all that. He was raised in a Christian environment, but at a young age, his mother got cancer, and it was horrible, and he prayed that God would forgive her. It didn't, I mean, heal her, sorry, heal her. She didn't get well, and so he decided there is no God, and he was an atheist for the rest of his life until he realized, intellectually, he didn't, he, he was mad at God But then he thought, how can I be mad at a God who didn't do what I wanted if there is no God? Then he realized he was so angry at God because bad things happened in the world, including in his own personal life. And he was upset. And his logic was that the world is so evil, there can't be a God. But then he got to thinking, if there is no God, no standard for good and evil, how can I be mad? There's no reason that there is anything good. You could even flip that around and you could wonder... And, I mean, a lot of people question, it's a legitimate question, if there's all this evil in the world, how can there be a God? They could also ask, how is there pleasure in the world if there's no God? Very seldom do people look at it that way. Or how is there good in the world with no God? So he intellectually came to the point where he started to investigate, and he decided, you know what, this is true. He had a friend of his who confronted him and said, have you noticed the gospel accounts? They're real. And he said, what are you talking about? That's like fantasy. And he goes, Yeah, but they don't look like fantasy. They look like legitimate 
eyewitness accounts that have different perspectives, having seen the same events, tell the story differently. They all work together. It looks like this really happened. And he had to look at it and say, it's true. He calls himself like an un, un, unlikely convert because he didn't want God to be true. You know why? He didn't want God to impinge on his life. He didn't want God to have any say over what he did. He wanted to do whatever he wanted and let, let all that work itself out. And then when he realized, no, God is true and the word is true, that he had to make a change. The thing is, a lot of times people take a look at those things and they say, what's the best answer to the way the world is? How do we figure out how the world is? I mean, some people come to Christianity because of the other things I mentioned. Some people come directly through science. You're not going to probably hear about this too much, but there is a wave of scientists who were atheists coming to Christ because the deeper they delve into the microscopic world and the subatomic world, they see order that cannot be explained by natural processes. It can't be random. And when they're confronted with that, they look at it and they say, what else is there? What else explains what we're seeing here? Who, who would create incredible, intricate wonder at the microscopic level or way out in space where humans have, are just now seeing it, if not a God that loves creativity and wonder and beauty? I mean, have you thought of that before? Did you know most of creation can't see color? Did you know that? Yet the colors we enjoy are incredible, and we don't even see it all. There's spectrums of color that are, that are not visible to the human eye, which through machines we can see even more color. It's, it's amazing what scientists find. And then when confronted with that, they have to stop and say, well, what explains this? Because the natural explanation for the world, just by chance and time, can't do this. It doesn't work that way. They're confronted with it. There's a, I got a call, kind of a random call from a, a missionary, not an Assembly God missionary. And it's not like we don't support missionaries who are not assemblies. It's just typically that's who we support. We're an assembly God church. We have this incredible missions department. You heard from Paul and Christy today. Uh, they do amazing things all around the world. But I felt like, you know what, I should, I should at least talk to her. So she told me, well, the first thing I wanted to know is how did you become a Christian? Here's what happened to her. She grew up in independence, uh, didn't go to church very much. Occasionally, they weren't a church-going family at all. But she believed in God, she said. And then she went to Mizzou. And so I keep forgetting to ask Dalton if, if he's, because he came from Zoo and, and Nick, but I think she would have graduated before them anyway. But a friend of hers invited her to a Chi Alpha ministry, which is a college, <laughs> it's a college uh, outreach ministry on college campuses. It's an assembly guy ministry. She went, and when she went, she sat there and through the worship, she thought that was cool. She'd never seen singing like that. So here's somebody who's totally unchurched, never heard any about any of this. She sat there, and as the speaker was talking, she thought, I've always believed in God, but he's saying I can actually know him. You see the difference? She believed there was a God, but she didn't know she could have a relationship with the God that she believed in. Now, she didn't know anything really about God. She just believed there was a God. But all of a sudden, she was saying, wait a minute. If this is real and I could know him, know him, he created me, he wants to know me, there's more to life than just walking through life and making money and having kids and having a family and da 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 There's a God that I believe in, but I didn't know him, and I can know him. Changed everything. So, so now she's a missionary in Birmingham, England, and that's what she does to help other college students know God. I think about this, and when I ask if you're a Christian, I was getting at something. Do you know him, know him? I mean, know him for you. Now, Frank shared a prophecy last week about the idea that you can know him. And um, this is what that's about. Do you know him? Do you know him? I don't mean does your wife or husband know him or people you know know him or you know people who know him. I mean, do you know him know him? It's different. Here's the thing. I think people get confused. They think... Christianity is just a bunch of rules that we have to follow. And if you do it all right, then you go to heaven. It's not really it. That's not what Christianity is. It's more than that. And Christianity is drastically different than every other religion. And I know people who don't really want to get into it. They're like, oh, all religions the same. And all gods always lead to Jesus. And I know why they say that. Because if you get into the details, it could be offensive. And I have to actually confront what I actually believe. 
But the difference is, yes, they're superficially similar, but religions are not the same. And Christianity is radically different. And what I'm asking to you today is, do you know him? Because if you do, then you know at least the beginning of why it's so different than every other religion. It's so different. Do you know what makes it different? I mean, if somebody asks you, well, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you go to that church? And why do you do this? And do you know why? I mean, why in a way that they would understand? It's important for us to know, not just for you, but for you to be able to communicate that with people. Here's the thing. I think we can make it super simple. Here's the ways that it's different. The two primary ways that are radically different. God made us for a relationship. He created human beings different and for relationship. And he pursues the relationship. Every other religion, you're fighting your way to God. You're clawing your way. You're, you're behaving in a certain way that gets you an audience with him. Or if you behave good enough, long enough, do the right things, you get to see him. That's not Christianity. Christianity, he pursues you. That's why when Jesus told that story of the son who had ran away and wasted money and the father runs to the son. It's a picture of God coming to us. To put it in a word, it's grace. Grace. God gives us what we do not deserve, which is a relationship. He pays the price for our sin. He does it. It's about the heart. It's not rules or religion. It's your heart is changed. It comes down to your view of the world. What makes it different is how you see the world. Every religion, every belief system has a story that explains the world. You may not think of it this way, but even atheism, I mean, I'm not trying to offend any atheists who might be here or anybody watching online. I'm not saying you have a religion. What I'm saying is, even they have a way that explains the world, how we got here, what the problem is with the world. Everybody looks at the world and says things aren't right. And then how do you solve that problem? That's the basic thing that every religion tells you a story about. It can be even environmentalism. It, it works in the same way as a religion. There's, there's a problem with the world. The world was a certain way. There's a problem with it. And here's how we fix it. It's also the plot to every movie, right? I mean, even, even romantic movies, kind of, that's the plot. Why? Why do you think that is? Do you ever wonder if maybe God put that need for us to tell a story and answer it? in our hearts because that's his story it's the story of the gospel it's the story of the bible it's the story of every one of our lives we know the world isn't the way it should be well how was it well the christian story says it this way the world was perfect it was broken broken partly by our sin and that we needed to fix it or god needed to fix it because we couldn't fix it so he sends jesus to fix it and the way it's fixed is by us changing our hearts and then we take part and join him in fixing it that's the story. That's the world story of the gospel. I like to think of it like this. There's a guy, Greg Steer. He, he has this great youth organization called Dare to Share. He puts it in this real simple, and he uses an acronym called gospel. God created us to be with him. Our sins separated us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died for uh, and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone is eternal life. And the life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. That is the gospel. That's the good news. That's the story of Christianity right there in a nutshell, an easy acronym. But it has to be more than you believing it. When I ask everybody if you are Christian, I was kind of setting you up. It was kind of a loaded question. You know those questions, right? You know how it is. Do you guys remember? Maybe your husband or wife asks you a question and you're like, hmm, what are you really asking? Even as a kid, you know, your parents might ask you something and you know there's more behind the question. Or you get called into the principal's office. No one ever had that happen, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. It can't be just you believing. And you can't just rest on someone else's belief system. You have, it has to be more than that. What Jesus invites us to is a relationship with him that goes beyond mere belief. It's more than that. It's not just you mentally saying, well, yeah, I think that's true. It's not that. It's not that. I've used this cliche many times, but I'll tell you, I, I, I can picture when I first heard this from a preacher when I was a kid, and he said, God doesn't have grandchildren. And I remember thinking, as a kid, sitting in church, I was probably right, I'm back in this area right here, and I remember thinking, why not? He got me. And I thought about it, why not? And he went on to explain, that's not good enough. 
I don't know about you, but I love my grandparents and they love me and it was a special relationship. And I thought, why wouldn't God want that relationship with anybody? And he said it's not good enough. He wants children, direct children, you and God. So what that means is us just believing you have to have your own relationship with him, your own relationship that defines between you and him. So what that means is you don't go in on anybody's coattails, nobody, whether it's a spouse or someone you know. You growing up in a Christian home is not enough. That's not it. You attending this church or any church is not it. You staying pure till marriage isn't it. That's not it. It's not about following all the rules. It's not dressing a certain way. It's not acting a certain way. Those aren't the things. It's not because you know the Bible. You know who knows the Bible? The enemy of your soul. What did he tempt Jesus with when Jesus was fasting? And He tempted him with Bible. He knows the Bible. I know I keep mentioning this, but it's not even believing in God. And I know somebody here is thinking, wait a minute, I thought that was it. I thought you just had to believe. More than that. That's the beginning. It's not that. And I know it sounds extreme. I, somebody's here being like, I don't know if that's true. I get it. But I'm, I didn't make the rules. Don't be mad at me. I'm just the messenger here. I'm telling you what God requires, and he requires more than belief. And you might be sitting here thinking, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Let me, I'll give you an example. Some of you have seen Ray Comfort, uh, the, the Way of the Master. He's, got, he's on Christian TV a lot, witnessing to people on the beach or somewhere. And I know Kirk Hammer's done some of these things with him. When I lived in L.A., we used to go, I'd take the youth group with him out to, a lot of times we'd go to Third Street Promenade or Santa Monica Beach, and we would, we would work with him as he's talk, doing this kind of thing. And if you've watched him, it's amazing what he does. He'll walk up to a stranger and just say, hey, do you, th- do you think there's an afterlife? I mean, what, what, do you think, what do you think people go after they die? Do you know what almost every single person says? What would they say? Heaven. Then he asks this, well, if you died, would you go there? You know what every single person says? Yes. Then he asks them, why? You know what they all say? I'm a good person. I'm a good person. The absolutely frightening thing is, that's not what gets you to heaven. Plus, what does it mean to be good? You talk to people, you're good people, and I know you're good, but you talk to somebody and you ask them, are they good? They're going to say yes. You know what they're doing? They're comparing themselves to other people who maybe aren't good or maybe a serial killer or maybe somebody really bad or maybe, maybe the person sitting next to you, you're probably a better person than them, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> the problem is, then, he, then he'll do this. He'll say, well, whose heaven is it? And they'll say God's. And then he'll say, well, wouldn't it matter what God thinks it takes to get to heaven? Do you want to know what it means, what God requires to get to heaven? Almost everybody says yes. Then what he does is he starts to talk about it. And as he does, they start to see it's about God's standards, not their standards. Their standards aren't what get, gets them into heaven. It's God's. It's certainly not culture. If you've been paying attention, our culture has shifted dramatically in the last few years. Dramatically. Ways that I never thought would happen, honestly. I know, not a, I know most of you students won't remember this. But when... When President Obama ran in 08, he said marriage was between a man and a woman. You know what would happen if somebody said that today? In politics, what would happen? Now, he shifted that. He changed by 2012. And now we have drag queen story hour. People identify against their basic biology. I mean, think about what's happened. It's insane. Culture has always been anti-Christian, though. That shouldn't really surprise us, but it's shifted dramatically. What do you put your, what do you put your, what's your standard then? Is it going to be yourself? Can't do self. I mean, self is, we're selfish. Our standards are unreliable. How do you choose what you choose? How do you decide all of that? Our feelings are fleeting. I mean, if you trust your feelings to decide everything, it's going to be all up and down and all over the place. How do you know what it is? So I know somebody here is still saying, but wait a minute, belief is not enough? Well, there's this kind of a comical verse in James, chapter 2, verse 19, where James says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way, but of course they know who God is. And of course they know what the truth is. They've just rejected it and chosen not to live by it. Do you see the difference? Yeah, belief is important, but it's different to have a relationship, to actually know him yourself. 
I mean, if you believe, that's great, but then you also have to follow. Believing is part of it, but then you have to believe he's actually God, and he's actually God, and if he is, then what he says matters. And what you do is you say, it's not going to be my way, but his way. And when you actually exchange your will for his, that changes everything. It changes everything. I know there used to be this popular bumper sticker that said, God's your co-pilot. That's not right. He needs to be the pilot. You ride along with him, not just him when you need him. It's different. It means he actually has a say in where you're driving. It means that he directs your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is great scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. How does that happen? How does it happen? Well, part of how it happens is you know him personally, not through somebody else. You need to have a Jesus moment of your own, a come-to-Jesus moment, where you encounter him and where you know him beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's not someone else's story. It's your story, your own testimony. You need to know him for you. Knowing him for you changes everything. I'm not talking about just an experience, although it can be that. What I'm, what I'm talking about, you may even have nagging questions, but don't st- sit in the questions that hinder your faith. Go find the answers. Explore it. I don't worry about people having questions because if they are honest seekers, they will find truth because he is truth. I don't, I don't worry about that. What I worry about is people who, who say they have questions but then don't seek truth. They don't want to hear other answers. Or they just shut it off and say, well, I don't, I don't want to live. I don't believe that. I don't want to do it. And if they just shut it off, then that's not enough. If you just sit in doubt and fester there, it's, that's not it. You realize we have an enemy of our souls, right? You realize that. We always talk about God having a plan for our life, but the enemy has a plan too. His plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the ways he does that, he doesn't, he doesn't always do it actively. Some of the, what he does is he just keeps you in doubt. He's smart like that. Because he doesn't have to fight you in front if he can just fight you and tear down your faith other ways. It's what he does. We're supposed to be aware of his schemes. He wants to keep you complacent. He wants to keep you sitting in doubt. He wants you to stay offended. He wants you to be bitter and angry and distant and hold grudges. He wants you to be mad at God or his people. He loves that. What I'm challenging you to do is maybe you're there a little bit. Or maybe you are not sure. Maybe you believe, but you need help believing more. You Maybe you believe, but you need help fully committing to him. What I'm challenging you to do is to get that breakthrough. And maybe this 21-day fast is something that you are feeling challenged to do. To deepen your relationship with him. To get some answers answered. Some questions that you have that have been nagging at you. This is a good time. Peter Abelard, he's, a, he's actually a very a thousand years ago a theologian. He said this. It's by doubting that we come to investigate. And by investigating, we recognize truth. Doubt is not the problem. A lot of people doubt. The problem is letting it sit in doubt. Jeremiah said something like this too. He said, speaking for God, he said, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. What I'm calling you to do is look for him. Search for him. At whatever level you're at, maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you just need to deepen your walk with him. Awesome. Maybe you're a younger Christian. You haven't been a Christian very long and you're just curious about some things and maybe you haven't had a personal experience with him. It's a good time. Maybe for you, it's, it's even, even less that way. You just need to reach him for you. You need to know God for you. Other people's faith isn't good enough. You need your own. And you need a faith, an experience that holds you through times of doubt, an experience with him that holds you through times of hardship, times where there's not enough, times when you don't know where the answer's coming, but you know he answered you here, so he will answer you here. When everything is falling apart, you still are sure because you know him. Life is difficult. It is. People fail you. They hurt you. They will. If it's never happened, I'm sorry to tell you it's going to happen. It might be a friend. It might be a boss or a family member or somebody that you've been close to a long time. It might be somebody at church. Tragedy is part of life. What I want you to hear today is, yes, that's true, but eternity is forever. Let's work on eternity Think of this example. And I got this actually from Rich and Jesse Matthews who's teaching the marriage class. Uh, one of his younger brothers is, is training for ministry and he needed to preach a sermon. So I got this example from him. It's an amazing example. You need to experience God for you. 
What I want to do is take a look at the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I just want you to think about this for a minute. Abraham had, Abraham had, a, had a life-changing encounter with God. We read in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, and we don't know how he did this. We don't know if it was a voice. We don't know. But he said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. In their time, this was drastic. All they had was family. You go to another part of the world or the country, you are not safe. This was it. He left it all. And he had many experiences with God, firsthand experiences. I mean, there's a point where these angels visit him and he sees them and he prepares them a meal and he's talking to them. He knows they're going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He bargains with God. He has real experiences because he's basically saying, will you still destroy it if there's 50? What about 25? And he goes, he goes, bargains right down to 10 and God says, I won't destroy it if it's 10. Sadly, there was less than 10. God promised him a son that would become a great nation. He was old, never had children. He doesn't get the son until he's 100 years old. But he experiences God and the faith that he had in God carried him through. And he stumbled, he had mistakes, but he still was a man of faith. He had an experience with God. And God promised him that he would have this son. And at one point, the son is born and God tests his faith by telling him to sacrifice his son. If you're doing the reading plan with us, and I encourage you, you can all jump into this, but we're doing this reading plan together. We just read that today. Uh, to be honest, I didn't realize we were going to read it today when I wrote the sermon, but still. He promised him that. I guarantee you, his experiences with God made it possible that he had the faith to follow through with that. You need these experiences with God. You need them. I don't know, this was, this was a practice that was actually common in their day. Child sacrifice was common. The writer of Hebrews gives us some insight into what Abraham was thinking, because I know for you and me, I look at that verse and I'm thinking, God, what were you doing? How could I trust you if you ask such a thing? And the writer of Hebrews says it this way, is by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who'd received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Why? Because he'd received God's promises. He'd had moments with God. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. That's awesome for Abraham. Have you ever wondered about Isaac? What was he thinking? Have you thought about this? We don't know how old he was at this time. You know, most theologians think he was probably 12-ish. We don't know. What was he thinking? Had he had the moments with God? I don't, I don't think so. As he's carrying the wood, it's, it's actually a mind-blowing story. I don't know why this chokes me up, but I guess I think of my own son. Or my father. He's going with his father who knows God. He doesn't know him the same. And he stops and asks him. He sees the wood. He's actually at one point carrying the wood. And he says, well, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And what does Abraham say? God will provide. God, he knows that because he's experienced God. Isaac, not so much, right? But he's still obedient. He's writing at that point on his father's experience with God. And he submits to that. And he's literally there. But I love this little peek into Abraham's faith even more because in, verse, in, in Genesis 22, 5, he's, he tells the servant, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel farther. We will worship there and we will come right back. Abraham knew they were coming back. I don't know that Isaac knew that. When they arrived at the place, he told him, build an altar and they arranged the wood and he picks up the knife to kill and sacrifice his son. I wonder what Isaac was thinking at that moment. And we don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't tell us if he said, wait, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? It doesn't say. But we know that at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. And he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he told him to stop. I guarantee you, Isaac saw God's faithfulness then. Can you imagine? I don't know if you've had an experience like that where maybe everything was over for you or maybe something happened and you called out to God and he intervened and you know that happened no matter what anybody says you can look back and say I know he met me here I know he spoke this to me I know he saved me here I know he did this for me 
When you've had an experience like that, it changes everything. And then you know him for you. Isaac knew him for him then. Do you think he told people about that? Oh my gosh, can you imagine that story? I've often said this. When we get to heaven, there's a few stories I want to hear from the, from the person's mouth. And that's one of them. If we get this opportunity, I would just like to say, Isaac, what was it like to lay on the altar bound up and see the knife? What was it like when you heard the voice that stopped the hand? What was it like for you to know God for you? And to, to fast forward through the story, he knew God, but then don't you think he told Jacob and Esau about God? Don't you think he told them about those experiences? Did it change Jacob? No. Look at Jacob's life. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. He did things that you look at and you think, how could you do this? He knew about God. I'm sure he believed God was real, but he didn't know him for him. He was living at that point on Isaac's experience so much so that he he tricks his brother out of his birthright. He deceives his father out of the blessing that should have gone to his brother. He goes so far as if you read that story, he he wasn't a hairy guy, but his brother was. So he put skins on his arm to fake his dad out because his dad has lost his sight. He lies to his father face to face. Who does that? Not somebody who knows God. He could have believed in God at that point. He knew his father's experience, but he did not know him. So he flees after he does all this. And in the process, he goes to sleep and he has this dream. There's this crazy portion of scripture. It says, he has a dream and at the top of the stairway stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. Did you catch this? He wasn't his God yet. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east and the north and south. All the families on earth will be blessed through your descendants. We sit here today blessed by this. What's more, this is huge. I want this for every single one of you for you. What's more, I am with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I promised you. Not your father, not your grandfather, you. Now I'm not saying you guys are going to you know, create nations and stuff. What I'm talking about is that you would know God for you. That he is with you. And Jacob wakes up from his sleep and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. Do you realize what that means? He was walking around all his life and figured it was dad's God and grandpa's God, not his God. Then he realized, no, he's my God, my God. He names that place Bethel, meaning house of God. He had an experience with God himself. My question to you this morning is, do you have that? Do you have that? Do you know him for you? Not for anybody else, for you. Back to Jeremiah, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's not just for you. You realize that, right? It starts with you, and then you model this for your family and your kids and your coworkers and the other students at school and the people you run into and the people you encounter who need Jesus just as bad as you. They need to know him for them. You realize, of course, Isaac prayed for his kids, right? You probably have, you you might have kids that aren't following Christ the way you want. And maybe you've modeled it for them. They're just not following him. I guarantee you pray every morning, every noon, every night. You pray constantly. And they need that example. They need that experience for them. And we do what we can. We put them in situations where they will experience God. We, We have them come to church with us. They sit here. They, you know, worship this morning. I was, I was, I was having chills in God's presence. Even backstage, I'm just feeling his presence. This winter retreat that the youth are doing this weekend, I can't encourage you enough for your kids to be there where they can experience God. Programs here at the church, our kids ministry, our youth ministry, everything we do is so we create these opportunities for them to experience God. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. As you heard in the video, of course, the, the opportunity to fast is for you. It's, it's a way for you to Tell God and yourself, I want more of God. How much you get of God is always up to us. You realize that, right? He's always here. He's always the same God. It's up to us. We can experience him or not. I mean, it's up to you how much you want of him, how much you want to encounter him. 
how much you choose to change what we do now to have a different result tomorrow. It's up to us. Whether you do like the full food 21 days or, or not, that's not really the point. The point is you choose. There's so many things you could fast that, that can be super meaningful to you. It has to be between you and God. But what you experience is also up to you and to some degree. How much of him do you want? God, am I open to you? Do I really want to chase you or just kind of wander around you? Do you want him? That's my question to you today. I'm, we're going to do something a little unprecedented. I'm going to, I've asked the worship team to be up here. I'm going to, ask, I'm going to ask all of you who are willing to just come forward, and I want to pray over us as an entire church to kick off these 21 days. I do expect God to do things. You realize you get what you expect, right? So would you just do that as you come out? I'll keep talking as you're coming down here for a minute, but I'd just like you to just fill the front here. This is what I've learned over the years. Sometimes we say we're going to do something and we choose to do it, but there's something powerful about a physical movement that changes things. I'm asking you to come because, also not because this is, you have to be here for God to speak, but it changes your position. It changes your perspective. Let me just ask you a question, and this is, I know some of you are still moving, but I'm, I'm going to ask this. You, you don't have to answer, like raise your hands or anything, but do you want more of God? So the next question is, yes, if you do, what are you willing to do for that? I mean, what... What are we willing to change so that we have more of him? For some of you, praying more than you know, a few sentences seems re- just hard. I get it. What I'm asking you to do is to plan some time. And if you're fasting a meal, spend that time in prayer. And, and I know it's not always easy. Maybe you can't do it at work because it, it doesn't, it's just been set up that way. That's fine. But figure out a time. Figure out a time to do that. You know, the reading plan we're doing, is, it's, not like the, it's not like one of these things changes everything. It's all these little things that change things. For some of you, you might need the accountability to say, hey, I, I know Pastor Dennis has called us to this. I've never done anything like this. And, and I'm gonna, I just need somebody to hold me accountable. That's fine. That's fine. The whole part about you know, being private is you know, we don't like, let everybody know we're doing it, but there may be somebody to hold you accountable. I'm just asking you to make a change. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us in a, in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team first to, to lead us in whatever they want to. And as they do that, I want you to just ask God for a few minutes, what is it, God, that you want me to change? What do you want me to do that I haven't been doing that will lead me to a closer relationship with you? Maybe there's something you need to get rid of and you need a breakthrough in something. Let him speak to you about this. It needs to be between you and him anyway. And maybe you're still not set on even doing a fast. And maybe you walked in here today and like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. I just came to church today. God likes to do that to us. I don't know if you've noticed. It's not me being tricky. It's just him. Sometimes he just surprises us and says, hey, I needed to get your attention today. It might be something small. It might be big. Let him speak to you. So as they lead us, I just want you to cry out to him, ask him, and then I'll close us in prayer. You give light. You give love. You bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you Lord it's your breath in our Every heart that
your eyes closed for just a moment, you can keep your hands up. Think about these three things. First thing would be your own relationship with God. You deepening your faith. The second thing would be maybe there is something that God is, is calling you to pray for, a, a breakthrough in some area of your life. Maybe it's a sin that you struggle with over and over and you want to be done. Maybe it's somebody you know that desperately needs Jesus and you want to spend some extra time praying for them. The third thing is for for people who do not know Jesus. We are called to to share our faith. We are called as a church to spread the gospel. We need to see that happen. God is building. He is calling people to himself. We want to see a great harvest come in. Let me just pray for us. Father, I pray for every single person in this room today. Everyone who is standing in this place. Everyone who can hear my voice even online. That God, that you will help us as we change something in the next three weeks to get closer to you that you would meet us in that place and that God you would do things far beyond what we could even imagine or think God I pray that you would answer prayers but also that you would correct our thinking that you would change our hearts that you would call to us in a way call to us in a way that is different and deeper than we ever thought possible God I pray for breakthroughs that you'd meet people's prayers that you would answer things that they've been praying for for years God that you would you would heal that you would you would respond and change people's lives. I pray for those who yet need to know you, that God, you would melt whatever barrier they have put up, whatever is in their heart that has kept them from being sensitive and open to you, that you would change all of that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we give you the praise and glory in advance for all of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you today. As you go out, I pray you would encourage each other. If you're in need of special prayer for anything, we'll linger up front here and pray with you. And uh, God bless you today. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Sing
There won't be victory, I know. 